So Michelle, it's it's two o'clock, but um, right now in the Zoom room and even in person, we only have four members um, of Perk. Uh, oh, I think Kate just logged in. Um, so I don't know if you want to give everyone just a few more minutes to get you know last minute. Um, but with Kate logging in, we do have five members. We do have a quorum. Okay, we're still waiting for Kay and Patrick from what I showed. Yes, um, Adam. Yeah, with Adam sending that email that he couldn't attend um, earlier this week, we would only have a seven. We would only have seven maximum. So. Okay. Yeah. Whenever you're ready to start. Um, I believe you're doing the beginning, correct? Yeah, so I mean, you're the you're the chair. So if you want to go ahead and start, um, I can go ahead and read those instructions. If we can. Yeah, let's go ahead and start with those. That'd be great. Thank okay. you. Not yep, not a problem. <clears throat> um, so good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Sam Camp. I'm the economic development analyst. Um, so to kick off the meeting, I'm just going to provide a few procedural reminders um, since we are doing a mixed mode meeting. Um, the meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and the public access uh, cable channel 25. Um, during the meeting, when you're not participating, please mute yourself by clicking the microphone icon found on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu uh, next to the video icon. Uh, muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to hear um, the current speaker. In some cases, I may mute or unmute people as needed uh, to minimize distractions during the meeting. Um, you can also turn your video camera on and off by clicking the video icon in the menu. For the purposes of the public meeting, um, when you are participating in the meeting, please turn your video on and state your name beforehand. Um, when you are not participating in the meeting, please turn your video off to minimize distraction. Um, <clears throat> in some cases, I may turn uh, someone's video off if they are not actively participating to avoid that distraction. Um, all motions will need to be made will need to be stated clearly. Um, after a motion is made and seconded, the chair will call on board members individually to provide their vote. Uh, when public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. Um, Windows and Mac users can access this feature through the participants button at the bottom of their screen. Um, individuals will be called on um, by name and order in which they appear on the meeting host screen. Um, when they're called on, please unmute yourself um, and state your name before speaking. Um, the chair will then call for in-person public comment for any uh, for any of those without access to technology um, that are here in the city hall. Um, staff present will direct you will direct anyone in person to speak at the podium following uh, social safety procedures. I think this is for COVID. Um, the regular three-minute time uh, time limit will apply to all public comment. Um, and that's the instructions. Um, so if you want to go ahead and get started, Michelle. All right, great. So we will um, begin the agenda. And the first item on the agenda is to approve the November 10th, 2022 meeting minutes. Any discussion on this? Michelle, this is Christina Gentry. I move that we approve those minutes. All right, great. We have a motion on the floor. Any second? Michelle, this is John Matthews. I'd like to second that. All right, so we have a motion to approve the November 10th minutes. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead through a roll call vote. Um, Brad? 
Uh, aye. Christina? Yes. John? Aye. Kate? Aye. <clears throat> Don't believe Kay has came on yet. Um, Patrick? Aye. And I am an aye. So we have six in favor and uh, none uh, against. So the motion carries. So the next item on the agenda is to review the request from the West District Improvement Company, LLC, um, which is a wholly owned company of the Kansas University Endowment Association for the crossing project and provide recommendation on the project area one TIF plan and the creation of a community improvement district. So I'm gonna pass the discussion over to Britt for a little bit. Yeah, good Madam afternoon. Chairman. Sorry, Britt, this, this is Brad Burnside. I wanted to disclose to you that <clears throat> I have a conflict and I'll have to recuse myself from a uh, conversation concerning this project. All right, duly noted. Thank you, Brad. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Uh, good afternoon, uh, PERC members and members of the audience. I'm Britt Crumcano, the Economic Development Director with the city. Um, I'm going to start out by recapping just a couple of uh, key points. I'm also, uh, I'd also like to introduce um, our consultants. Today we have on board with us Kevin Wimpy of Gilmore and Bell, and he will be available to field questions around the TIF and the CID. And then we have Tom Denaway of Baker Tilly. This is a consultant who did the financial analysis and he'll be able to field questions uh, on that topic. So um, just to briefly recap, I hope you've all had a chance to see Kevin's fabulous presentation on what a TIF and TID is, uh, but uh, briefly, um, TIF or tax increment financing is an economic development tool. It works on the increment, which means the increased um, uh, value due to improvements. So whatever the base was or what the property was pulling before is uh, shielded from TIF. Uh, TIF can be either a property tax or sales tax. In the case of the crossing, they are only asking for a property tax tax TIF. And at that, they're asking for a 95%. Um, TIF is good for 20 years by state statute. Um, uh, they are not asking for TIF sales tax, which also can be asked for. The sales tax will flow to the taxing jurisdictions as it normally would. Uh, the Community Improvement District, it's an economic development tool that can provide for an additional sales tax on top of the regular rates. Um, in the case of the crossing project, they are asking for a 1.5% uh, CID sales tax. So that'll be on top of our normal uh, taxing jurisdiction tax rates. Um, the, the CID by state statute is allowed for 22 years. Our policy um, has it at 20 years, but I believe that is probably a typo. Uh, all of our other economic development tools follow the state statute. Um, so the request, the, the applicant is paying for all the infrastructure expenses up front. They're asking for um, a 95% 20-year uh, TIF and the 1.5% CID to help them pay back those public improvements. Um, the project, I, the staff has reviewed it in terms of alignment with our policy, as well as in alignment with our strategic plans, and we feel like it meets both. 
Um, and specifically, I'm just going to mention some of the, the strategic plan objectives that I think this will feed into. Uh, targeted industry employment growth, because it's supporting KU uh, Innovation Park, and because of the types of jobs and the amount of pay that those jobs average, uh, we feel this is as a great employment um, growth vehicle and uh, would help fulfill our targeted industry growth um, goals. Um, it will increase area income. Uh, Monty will probably speak to this a little bit more, but uh, the property has historically been off the tax rolls for the most part. Uh, by converting them and redeveloping them, they become commercial assets and now will be uh, feeding into the tax system. Um, once the incentive period is over, of course, then the the property goes fully on the tax rolls in the city and the county and the taxing jurisdictions get the full benefit of that increased property value. Um, I had emailed you out uh, a little breakout. I'd asked Tom Dinaway to break out uh, projected tax revenues for the city and the county. Um, this is based on his analysis for the but for and the feasibility study. So he's estimating Increased revenue generation for the county would be about 773,000 in property taxes and about 14.5 million in sales tax. And for the city, about 543,000 in property taxes and sales taxes of almost 45 million. Um, so again, this is extra revenue to the, the taxing jurisdictions that wouldn't be there if these properties remained um, property tax exempt. Um, it supports infill development. Um, it will accommodate permanent affordable housing, and Monty will tell you a little bit more about that in a bit. Creates a live, work, and play environment designed to increase business satisfaction, and that directly re relates to the prosperity and economic security goals of uh, increasing satisfaction with Lawrence as a place to do uh, business as well as a place to work. So again, staff concludes that this does meet our policy and our goals. And with that, I would just like to um, turn it over now to Monty and he can talk about the project. Thank you, Britt. Give me a second here to get. All right. Here we go. Okay. Uh, just thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I'm Monte Sokup. I'm the Senior Vice President of Property Management or Property for KU Endowment. Um, Wittick, as I think was said earlier, is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Kansas University Endowment Association. We are the not-for-profit fundraising organization for the University of Kansas, uh, established in 1891. Um, interestingly enough, we purchased this ground in 1942, and if I can paint a picture for you, Allen Fieldhouse was not there. It was a field. Everything on Daisy Hill was a field, and the university felt at that time that uh, they needed to acquire this land to plan for the next 100 years for the university. 
um, here we are, um, I don't know, my math isn't correct, but 70 or 80 years later, and uh, this is the first opportunity we've really taken to really think about what this could be and how it could benefit the university. Um, really, this came out of, uh, so today we're here and uh, we are asking uh, for support uh, through, the, through a TIF and CID process. Uh, WIDIG will be paying for all the private and public infrastructure improvements to create this development. And the whole idea behind this is to create the infrastructure that allows us to create taxable parcels that we can then have, uh, you know, first in class private developers come in and bring those dollars to this community and build assets and pay taxes uh, in this community. And that's the tax revenue that we're asking to take a portion of uh, to help us pay for the infrastructure. And I would also say that if you have a question at any time uh, during my presentation, feel free to stop me. I am happy to stop and answer questions along the way. So as you might imagine, we saying we purchased this in 1942. Um, we did not, our, our organization did not take lightly uh, the idea of what to do with this piece of ground. We had this piece of ground. We really asked the university the question, what can we do, which is really our mission, to help propel the university uh, even further than it is and help the university? And what we came up with, uh, we really we, we started a, ma a planning process and engaged the Chamber of Commerce, people at the city, people at the county, uh, obviously can, uh, KU Research Institute, uh, and the university, university's uh, KU Innovation Park folks. And what we came up with was really to attract companies and researchers and entrepreneurs that align with the strengths of KU, that'll enhance the KU's research portfolio, and really strengthen the uh, R1AAU standing of the University of Kansas. And if you're not familiar with that, uh, the R1AAU standing is the, are the 60, is a group of 60 uh, public and private universities that are the top research universities in the country. And KU has been a, a part of that group since very nearly the beginning and early at the turn of the 19, 1900 in that area. So over 100 years, we've been in that group. Um, unfortunately, in the in the recent years, we've seen universities like Nebraska and Oklahoma fall out of that because the difficulty is staying in that group, there's a metric of research dollars collected to uh, faculty, tenured faculty, and a, a comprehensive university has trouble keeping that ratio up. So really the part of the idea for the university is to drive this uh, these research dollars. And that really brings companies to KU and the city. So we have a very uh, successful uh, enterprise over there. It's called the KU Innovation Park. It was originally called the uh, um, BTBC, uh, Bioscience and Business Technology Incubator. Um, that organization uh, basically opened its first building in 2010 and a couple years later doubled in size. And then again this year opened its next building that again doubled it in size. Uh, highly successful. They have 62 companies, 590 jobs, and a $35 million annual uh, combined annual payroll. These are things that did not necessarily exist at KU 10 years ago. And what we were hoping to do is to just accelerate and build on this. 
part of what when we talked to them is that the things that they said were, you know, what drives companies here, you know, is how do we differentiate ourselves from Salina, from Omaha, Columbia, Wichita? What is it that differentiates us? It's the research at K- KU and, and this enterprise here that exists. Um, so how do we enhance that? So that's where we really started this project. Those are the questions we asked. To do that, we came out with these, these outcomes that we really need to achieve. We need to be tied to KU brand. Um, it's an international brand and it helps you know draw companies here. Uh, and, and set again, set us apart. The key elements, we wanna control the edge condition, the architectural standings, uh, standards, placemaking and branding. Um, and we have an opportunity to respond to the market, the university and the community really as a whole. And then ultimately effectively balance that with strategic impact and financial performance of a development like this. So we started looking, uh, we hired a, Gensler and Gastinger Walker, which are uh, large master planning uh, architectural firms. Uh, we started looking at what we have and really we have a research park, which is great. It's functioning, it's doing well, um, but it really, it's a monoculture. You go, you do your research, it, you leave. There's really nothing else there that keeps someone there. Uh, so we said, you know, what we really need is an innovation park where there are, you know, a dozen things to do within walking distance. And then also then create something to draw the community into that space so that uh, the community can see the benefit, realize the benefit, and also create those collisions between researchers and the public and researchers of different disciplines. So I talked about creating infrastructure to uh, build lots so this is these are the private improvements that uh this project's undertaking and you can see here on this uh chart there's 1a 1b 1c 1d 1g there are some uh, lots across the street as well so these are developable lots uh and those are the parcels that would become taxable as we move forward with private asset class developers uh, we're also uh incorporating because we're using uh having to use part of the shank fields for recreation we're creating two lit soccer fields there um and the great advantage of that is the two lit fields real basically take the place of the six uh existing fields because of the amount of play time and the real beauty of that is over the summer uh ku's rec services will not be using them so we'll be able to partner with the city and allow public use on those and create a, a really a public benefit in creating uh, additional play space in Lawrence for soccer. The other thing that we're creating is you see this kind of green path uh, through here. Those are trails and it goes around really what is a, uh, a large lake and park area. So we're creating a large green way, which will be a public amenity and will ultimately connect the uh, Lawrence Loop to the Jayhawk Trail. And if you're not familiar with the Jayhawk Trail, that is an ADA accessible path across the university and through the university. And you know, it'll help connect on the other side. We'll also be signalizing the corner of 21st and Iowa 
which will allow traffic to get in and out of uh, this development, along with the intersection at Crestline, which is already uh, already signalized. So when we started designing this, um, we ran into, real early, we ran into a couple of really uh, large challenges. Uh, there's agreement and a development agreement between the university and the city that basically says we won't push any more stormwater off of our site than we were doing so in about 1995. Um, and we won't create a... Um, so, well, in order to do that, uh, we had a stormwater retention basin here where you see this lake. Uh, unfortunately, it was at capacity. So we had to enlarge that in order to build the... Uh, in order to build more impervious uh, surface here. That was basically designed, the original one was designed basically to cover to cover the buildings inside Becker Drive, if you're familiar with that. And as you've seen, the university has you know, built some things outside of that. So we were at capacity, so we had to enlarge that. And we decided to make that a wet re retention basin so that it'll be like a lake and an amenity, and then have obviously freeboard to absorb storm surge. Uh, and then meter that out into the system to meet the requirements. The other thing we found out is that in a normal infill project, you would expect to be able to go to the next major arterial and connect into the sanitary sewer system. And when we uh, started talking to Andy and and, and uh, David at the city, there uh, the city's sewer along Clinton Parkway was at capacity. Uh, it was installed in 1965. It's clay tile pipe. And when they have storms, uh, as you may or may not know, you get infiltration in the sanitary sewer systems and they were actually backing water up in manholes. They were not flowing back into people's houses yet, but we're starting to back up water in a manhole. So they said, you really can't add anything unless we have a pretty significant public sewer improvement project. What that amounts to is um, there's about a half mile of sanitary sewer line that runs down Clinton Parkway across Clinton Parkway, and then down about 500 feet in the Atchison Creek uh, system to be able to get to a point in the system that could accept the future expansion. This is about a three and a half million dollar uh, uh, project in of itself once you're off the KU endowment site. Uh, and that's not to mention the public and you know, parts of the public improvement that'll be public sanitary sewer system that will be on the site. Um, it sounds crazy, but that's a 40, you know, it starts and that's a 48 inch sanitary sewer pipe here converts to 36 and then ultimately up to 24 as we go north and east. And that's really where our conversation with the city started about uh, public incentives, um, I talked a little bit about the Greenway. This is the master plan for the Greenway. Uh, you know, of course, we're building in this segment, we're building the first two sections, but the plan is to continue that on up through Becker Drive and ultimately connect that to the tunnel at 19th and Iowa so you can get across uh, across there. And the, the idea is that uh, you, know, you create a bike and or walking path that again connects to the Lawrence Loop and connects you back to the university again with the idea of bring, bringing in public space 
uh, bringing the community up into and onto campus, kind of blurring the edge of campus, if you will. Along the main drive where we decided to uh, really concentrate our building, uh, we're trying to build basically a walkable uh, streetscape for about three to four blocks in there uh, by creating housing and some housing and businesses and restaurants uh, in that section. So really the idea is to have zero setback and create a much denser uh, type of building instead of having big yards in front of buildings. Uh, along this street, there will be, it'll be uh, very dense. Um, it'll have a feel probably more like Massachusetts Street than, uh, say, Clinton Parkway. This is a street level view of what that looks like, where you see about, you know, a, a 32 foot street, some parking, you know, a 16 to 18 foot sidewalk, and then buildings fronted right, uh, you know, with a zero setback right there on the street. And what you're looking at here is looking down Becker Drive, where you'd have private development on the left side and university and or research buildings on the right side. And we intend all of these buildings to either, if they're not, uh, don't have storefront, that they would have mixed use, uh, even in the university buildings, to really create a complete street and activated street. So as we start to talk about the TIF, uh, we, the, the area qualifies as a conservation area, which uh, because of the age of the existing buildings within the TIF district, um, we're seeking a 95% of the incremental increase value for reimbursement, which Britt talked a little bit about, and a 1.5% sales tax. <laughs> this image shows uh, two things. The red outline shows the TIF the ultimate TIF district. And then the blue area shows the project area, which is the area at this point that we're asking to be collecting taxes, uh, collecting the revenues from. Um, the revenues can be spent in uh, multiple areas out here, but the, as you can see from our infrastructure plan, the vast majority of it is in that area where we plan to have the development. This plan shows a little bit about the asset classes. I'm just gonna quickly go through this. Really the red, well, I'll start with the blue. Uh, the blue are uh, where we believe that the uh, university and KU Innovation Park uh, and research buildings would go really on the kind of the north side of Becker. And again, those ones up in this area across from the yellow and the red would be, we'd intend to be mixed use. The red buildings are commercial buildings. So uh, we're uh, working with a grocery store on this corner down here at 21st and Iowa, different uh, restaurants, uh, banks, coffee places. Uh, so we're having discussions with several different kinds of retailers. Um, the yellow buildings are a housing product. Again, this is intended to be a highly amenitized housing product more like you would see on the plaza or around UMKC, um, really targeted at young adults and young professionals. Uh, we're really trying to avoid the student population. One, we obviously don't want to hurt the university, but really we want this to be a little more uh, 
more centered around research and the people that might work in these buildings and might want to not have to drive to campus or whatever and can just really literally walk. And then this purple building is a daycare building. Uh, we are working, in fact, it'll actually construction will probably start fairly soon uh, with the Hilltop, uh, which is the university's uh, child care center. Uh, they currently serve children two to five, and this will add infant to two. So about 138 new student opportunities uh, there. Children, they call them students because it's an educational center. And uh, but 138 additional uh, children uh, daycare spots there available. So I'm going to switch to affordable housing, and I, I don't know if Rebecca Buford was able to get on or not, but uh, I've been working with Rebecca Buford. Uh, she's the executive director of the uh, Tennessee Homeowners and the Lawrence Community Housing Trust. So the, the city's uh, economic development policy has a requirement for, afford for providing affordable housing, and it's... Uh, for this project, since we are only really developing the uh, infrastructure and create and trying to bring on uh, private developers to develop any housing products that we might have, it's almost impossible to push those responsibilities onto the private developers. Um, so we offered a, a, a alternative plan or a proposed plan to provide uh, affordable housing. So what we're suggesting is that we will uh, use the TIF dollars to create the infrastructure uh, to create buildable lots, you know, really lots that are ready to be platted and go through that process. And then we would donate those lots to the Lawrence Community Housing Trust. And this does a couple things. It creates a permanently affordable uh, situation. So typically when you work with private developers and you have funding uh, to create affordable housing, you have an affordability period because you, they won't really, the developers won't come uh, to have a permanent uh, permanent restriction on that land. So you get a period of affordability. Maybe it's 15 years, maybe it's 20 or 30. It just depends. Uh, this proposal would provide per permanently affordable housing because it would put it into the Lawrence Community Housing Trust and the housing trust itself would own the ground and the assets, uh, which uh, really is, is, is kind of a nice feature. It also allows the Lawrence Community Housing Trust and tenants to homeowners to determine what kind of product is needed. And again, I say that's an advantage because when you work with a private developer, they really get to determine what product is uh, provided and often what we see is they provide studios and one bedrooms which don't always meet the need of you know for housing families and and people and people with multiple multiple people in their family uh in the community that need affordable housing options so this option really allows tenants to homeowners to choose what kind of product uh they want to see uh the acre and a half uh if we looked at that uh, if we went back, sorry, I'm a, if we go back to here, lot 1A is just a little over two acres. So it's just a little bit smaller than that. I guess 25% smaller. 
Um, on that lot, we're anticipating we're going to build 200 units of apartments. So an acre and a half, you know, could do a very large number of, of units if that's what tenants to homeowners wants to do and they can get the correct zoning and everything to do that. Um, I would say that's probably not what they're going to do because you don't, uh, you know, good practice is not put a lot of those in one place. Uh, you put them in a mixed, mixed development. Uh, or it would be enough to create about 13 single family homes. So I just want to give you a perspective on the size of that donation. Uh, the value of that land developed is approach, you know, it's approximately a million dollars. Uh, if you look at the 13 developable single family lots. Uh, the beauty of this is that this blue area shows the area that we would like to, to make that donation within that block. This is intended to be a kind of a mixed, mixed style residential development. Uh, we have that there because it's next to the Marvone uh, Meadows neighborhood. And we thought that would be, you know, backyard to backyard neighbors would make the best transition over uh, into our development to put residential against residential. So uh, Rebecca and I haven't exactly figured out where that goes in there, uh, but um, but that's the area we're proposing that we put uh, the affordable housing to mix it with market rate, the other market rate housing that we have going, uh, we'll have going in that area. The picture on the left is from our design standards. Uh, so these are just some images of uh products that we like and we'd like to see developed in this area, but that is not very, we obviously aren't working on that part of the development at this time. Uh, Rebecca, are you still on? I don't see her. Do you see Rebecca? Rebecca was going to try to make it today and uh, she had to, she had another meeting that she had to get. So she, she may not be available. So really at the end of the day, uh, what we're trying to do is create, you know, 21st Street as a gateway and welcome an entrance to KU. We're going to connect ourselves to the KU brand. Um, really, it's an entrance for KU Innovation Park, KU and the crossing. Uh, we want to mix uh, mixed use of recreational opportunities and kind of create that live, work, play environment. And really, that's intended to attract the next uh the next generation of researchers and entrepreneurs and to, and to set our, the university's uh, research area apart from research areas at other universities that don't have this opportunity. Uh, the plan connects uh, this area to the main campus and uh, provides a, a diverse mix uh, of use and resources that strategically position the university for success. And I would include in the University of the KU Innovation Park. So this is the pretty picture that our, uh, you know, our architects draw. This is the corner of 21st and Iowa, looking west down what would be uh, Stewart, or, uh, Becker Drive. And again, on the right, you see these uni future university buildings a couple of private buildings at the entrance, a grocery to the left, a little more retail, and ultimately the the two apartment uh, complexes that we're we're hoping to to build. And with that, I would open it up to questions.
I did a lot of talking, so. <laughs> All right. That was great, Monty. Thank you. Um, so, uh, committee members, um, any questions? Yes, this is Christina Gentry, um, committee member for this um, update to this, what looks to be a really great opportunity for Lawrence, uh, not just KU, but it looks like all of Lawrence. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I'm pleased to see that the, the, also the connection that was made to the Lawrence Loop. Um, if you're not connected with the Lawrence Loop or if for anyone who's not um, familiar, the Lawrence Loop is um, it's a paved trail that works to uh, include about 22 miles long circulating the city. Um, so that's good to see it also provide something that is in company with the ADA compliant trails. Um, so, you know, this is also really great stuff. Um, I, I heard you say too, um, and this is probably maybe a question for, that Rebecca can maybe answer a later date, but I heard you talk about uh, community improvements and then I heard you say um, that the public improvements, I'm sorry, the pay, the taxes that would be, get paid back to the community. And I'm just worrying about, I'm wondering also how about how affordable housing works into those property taxes. Um, you said that the, the lot that is going to be um, afforded to the affordable housing aspect of this design would be like a, a million dollar um, lot, costing about a million dollars. I think I heard that word or that number thrown out. How much do you anticipate um, property taxes taxes costing for that million dollar, dollar um, real estate property that you set aside for affordable housing? And how will that work to uh, fund and go back into the community um, and help continue to fund affordable housing opportunities, if any. Um, so maybe maybe that's a question for Becca. Maybe you can help answer that uh, part as well. Yeah, I can help with some of that. So if, if the land goes to the uh, Lawrence Community Housing Trust, that is a tax-exempt entity. So those houses being in that trust would be exempt as well. Uh, so... I think that I think that answers your question. I'm not sure. I so I mean I can also just continue to follow up on that question and get more answers as they develop. Uh, my other question um, part of this um, was kind of asking about developer fees. Um, how much of this project is dedicated to um, funding the developer fees, um, and, and are we getting outside funder or outside developers, or what do you anticipate that looks like uh, for this project and the, the monies that are going to be asked for for the, uh, for the project's development? So KU Endowment is not taking a developer fee for uh, developing the infrastructure. You know, our, our exempt purpose is to benefit the university, and this project's to benefit the university. Uh, not dissimilar to what we do anytime we build a, a project for the university or help them with things. We are not taking a fee. The private asset class developers, really what we were doing, we'll be ground leasing uh, the ground to them. And then everything else from there on is their project. So I can't speak to what fee they may or may not take on a specific project, but they do also as a ground lessee do not benefit from the TIF. They benefit from the infrastructure that we are building. Does that make sense? So none of the TIF would fund any developer fees, I guess is the really the bottom line to that. Okay, yeah, that answers that question. Thank you, Monty. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Hi, this is, oh, sorry, Michelle, I interrupted. 
No, go ahead, please. Uh, this is Kate Lorenz. Um, I had a question, um, and thank you, yes, uh, for talking to us about this really interesting, exciting, exciting project. Um, I was wondering about the CID sales tax, and just if you could kind of talk about who you see as um, sort of the customer base who will be, um, you know, who will be affected by that, and kind of specifically the types of benefits they're they're going to get from, um, you know, from that portion of the request. So, um, you know, I would say that, you know, we're gonna have a grocery store and we're gonna have restaurants uh, and banking. Uh, so really it's, you know, a cross section of the public. Obviously it's most convenient for the people that are researchers there and, you know, can you know, at this point walk across the street, you know, and uh, get a cup of coffee or whatever it is they're gonna do. Um, and then obviously the people that would then ultimately live in this district or around the district. Um, so I don't know if I've answered your question. I don't know that I can tell you what benefit they get other than, you know, if this, uh, it would be extremely difficult to, to execute this project, particularly with the three and a half million dollar sanitary sewer extension uh, without some kind of uh, incentive. Thank you. So and were, were there, yeah, no, that's helpful. And were there other, without it. <laughs> were, uh, were there other, like that 1.5%, were there other, you know, percentages sort of discussed and that just ended up being, being the sort of best balance. Can you talk about that? Uh, percentage on the, the CID? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I think typical is one to one and a half percent. Um, I don't know that there was, you know, we looked at, we looked at our costs and the things that we want to do there. Uh, and really with the, to get the, I guess the road, you know, the, within the, uh, the TIF expenses that are, that are within the projection is the road that serves the affordable housing. So there's some future pieces there that aren't in the actual first phase of construction, but still early in the project. Um, so I think, you know, to accomplish some of those things, um, you know, you look at the, you look at the numbers and you figure out what your numbers need to be to accomplish what you're wanting to accomplish. So. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, this is Kelly. Is it okay if I ask some questions now or does somebody else have questions? I think the table's yours. All right. So to maybe put a sharper point on, on um, the last question, on Kate's question, do do we anticipate those who will be in the affordable housing shopping in this district? Well, I think there's a grocery store there, certainly, which uh, would serve them. There's the daycare, which would uh, serve them. Um, you know, I, certainly they could. I mean, I think just because you're in affordable housing doesn't mean you don't go out to eat or things like that. You take those things, you know, it's all public service. You're, you're going to bank, you're going to do your drive through coffee. If you do that, if that's a, your thing, I, you know, but if they do so, they will be paying a higher tax rate than elsewhere in town. Is that they correct? will okay. within this district. Yes. Okay. 
And then my my next question, and Monty, I'm sorry to repeat my question because you did a very nice presentation for <laughs> Douglas County Commission. So, but no, I think okay. it's important for other commissioners in case they don't tune into all of our meetings. Is can you talk a little bit about how you arrived at the 95% TIF rate for the county tax? As you know, the the county actually would invest more in this project than the city and these are mostly city infrastructure projects that are invested can did you just decide that both of them needed to be the same can you talk a little bit more about that um again i think that was from a developer side that was a function of looking at the expenses we were trying to cover and to cover you know as much as we could uh with that to make the make the thing pencil out um i can't say that we had the lens of you know what was the city part and what was the county part uh i can't say that that was a part of our decision making process uh right or wrong okay. it was a function of figuring out what we get you know what could be paid for and and how we'd get that done Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Patrick. All right. Any other questions from the committee members? Okay, Monty, I just have a few questions for you. And um, uh, first of all, I just want to state that I, I find this project pretty exciting. And I think it'd be a benefit to not only KU, um, but for the Lawrence community. And um, as far as, and, I, and this may be too early in the game, uh, has there been any discussion of uh, who you would be utilizing for the infrastructure? Would it be uh, someone local or um, would you be bringing out of town no, provider? Uh, that's a good question, Michelle. Uh, we are, uh, uh, we are utilizing Marland Construction, which is a local general contractor company. Uh, their uh, their major subcontractor is King's Construction, who you may be familiar with. They have done a tremendous amount of work for the city and county on roads and, you know, those kind of things. Um, Lawrence Landscape which is also a very significant contract is our landscaper. So we are certainly trying to uh, utilize our local uh, local contractors. Great. I, I like that answer. <laughs> and, um, and then when you talk about um, the restaurants um, and so forth, has there been any interest at all um, with anyone yet? I know that's probably too early in the game, but I just was right. curious. So, yeah, we do have interest. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say any names. Uh, right. A couple things here that we're trying to do. We're trying, uh, we've tried real hard to do two things. One, bring some concepts that are not to this in this area. So we're not moving a McDonald's from 23rd Street over here. You know, we're not trying to we're trying not to avoid those things because we know that's really a net zero gain for the for the county and the city and as far as taxable base. So we're trying to bring some new things in and we're also trying to mix in some local things. So I've had discussions with two local restauranteurs that have interest. Uh, 
in doing something down here, not moving, but doing different concepts. Uh, you know, where that will go, I don't know, but we are certainly reaching out to uh, local uh, local companies to to try to have a kind of a mix. And I'd say the other thing is, you know, we met with the chamber. Again, they were involved really early and it was quite clear we want to try not to do any damage to downtown. You know, we don't want to take things from downtown. Downtown's an incredible thing for this city. And uh, it'd be a shame for us to, to, you know, to damage or have, a, you know, a negative impact on that. So we're trying really hard to, to not do that. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. um, exciting to hear. Um, and then uh, aside from, I think I've, I read that uh, the project would start in latter part of 2023, if I read that correctly. Um, any anticipation on completion time? Uh, we're, we've actually started moving some dirt for this project. Uh, we don't have any infrastructure in place, but we're moving dirt at this point. Um, we are, uh, like I said, at this point, really working on shaping the retention basin mm -hmm. and using some of that dirt to create the pad for the field. So uh, we, we were underway uh, on, on some of the low risk <laughs> parts of this project <laughs> and um, and things really, you know, so uh, so we're underway. We anticipate uh, signalizing the corner before students come back in August. Okay. That's, that's the plan. Uh, sanitary sewer work will start uh, very shortly. And uh, it's a probably about just the sanitary sewer work is about a four month project in of itself. It's pretty significant uh, undertaking. So uh, I would say, you know, if we have the, the roads will be done and the signalization would be done in August. Uh, you know, September, we'd probably be open, you know, for have streets open. We won't have any assets built at that point. Uh, right. Really, uh, lots wouldn't be available until midsummer sometime for any asset class developers. So then you have whatever build time they have between six months and two years, depending on what they're building. Exactly. Okay. And then we, then we expect the landscaping and stuff to be done by the end of 23. Okay. Great. So you, you you know you don't plant grass in August, so <laughs> at least <Wait>. not successfully. <laughs> yes, okay. I probably just read that date wrong in there. So um, I I believe that's my only questions right now. Um, committee, any other questions? Uh, I'd like to add one thing that I left out, and that is really, you know. There isn't, you know, I don't, two or three times a year, uh, you know, the chamber contacts us, uh, you know, really because of companies that are coming here, looking at KU's research and looking for opportunities to move in this area. And really, if we have a company uh, that wanted to move here and build a private office building in this space and it aligns with KU and aligns with the city, you know, we're certainly open to that. And that would, again, would create another taxable uh taxable piece uh you saw my plan other than the research buildings didn't have any private office space in it and that's because our market study really didn't show that there was an, a lack of office space in in lawrence 
But that sets aside the fact that regularly the, the chamber gets these inquiries from, you know, national level companies looking for places to put, you know, 150 people or whatever. So, you know, we're hoping that it makes us more attractive to that market as well. And we'll we'll bring those kind of assets and jobs that, you know, maybe aren't necessarily research, but maybe it's a company that wants access to students and aligns with uh, something at the university. So we're certainly looking at that, too. Awesome. Great. All right. Any other comments, questions? All right. Does anyone want to entertain a motion? Michelle, I'd like to make some comments maybe before we have a motion just to think about. And I, you know, I am very supportive of this project. I think it's a great thing. I am, uh, excited about the opportunity. What I am concerned about, and Monty has heard me say this before in our county commission meeting, is sort of the difference between the cost of city infrastructure and the total taxable um, benefit that's provided by the by Douglas County. And I'm concerned that these this project has been just rolled these two together without sort of a differentiation between county needs and city needs and and how that works um i i would be much more supportive of a proposal that had a certain percentage associated with city infrastructure and a certain percentage that is county because i think there is a benefit to the county but it it's not our infrastructure the requirements for signaling the requirements for sewer lines the requirements for most of this infrastructure are requirements that are put on by the city of lawrence and so i think the city of lawrence certainly should should understand how that will impact them um, also that the tax the cid has a bigger impact for the city than it does for for the county so I, I'm going to vote against this. That's not that I'm not supportive of the project, but I continually hope that as as this continues to make its way through the system, that we'll consider different percentages for city and county. City and county have put us a lot of money into Innovation Park. And while I want to continue to see that thrive, I think we have to recognize that investment and all of that investment has been non-taxable to date. So anything that's built there at Innovation Park is currently not drawing any taxable income. And this seems like we're continuing to look for an opportunity to, you know, yeah, I'm not going to say there's none, but at 5%, that's that's fairly minimal. Um, and that's a concern for me. Um, I was going to ask if Kevin Wimpy can speak to the TIF and whether that could even be split out legally. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Brett. This is Kevin Wimpy with Gilmore and Bell, the city's bond council. Uh, I, I think the question, Brett, and please clarify if this isn't, but w whether we can adjust the level of participation of the TIF between taxing jurisdictions? Patrick, is that the 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 uh, gist of your question? Yeah, I'd be interested in Kevin's answer on this. Sure, but I, I think your comments are are uh, related to the the fact that uh, due to mill rates, the county uh, has a higher mill rate than the city does, and therefore ninety five percent TIF capture captures more county dollar more would be tax dollars from the county than the city due to the higher tax rate imposed. 
uh, and now under Kansas law, the the TIF um, dollars captured by the TIF have to be pro rata according to mill levy. We can't treat different taxing jurisdictions differently under the TIF Act. So under endowment's proposal of capturing 95% of, of TIF revenue, the 5% flows through uh, pro rata to all taxing jurisdictions according to mill rate. And then the 95% in the TIF fund uh, has to be spent on TIF eligible funds. And then the uh, you know the benefit that Monty spoke to for for city and county is that under TIF you can capture sales taxes, and in this instance, uh, all the sales tax will still flow through to the city and county. So none of that's being captured for TIF purposes. So Kevin, that begs the question: We have two authorizing bodies here, the city and the county. Can the county reject this and the city pass it, or does the city have authority to tell the county what tax? incentives it's going to provide. Right. So TIF is, TIF is a tool that allows the school district and county to uh, veto the establishment of a TIF district. Uh, there's a 30-day period within the public hearing held for establishment of the TIF. Okay. Thank you. All right. Any other questions? All right, any motions to be put on the table? Michelle, this is Kate. Do we have any public comment? Perhaps I missed that. Do we have anyone? I'm not aware of any public comment. <clears throat> uh, I do not see anybody with their hand raised in the virtual room. Um, Chad, do you have any comment? Okay. Chairman, uh, uh, there's no public comment. I have another question before there's a motion, maybe from Kevin. I'm just really trying to think this through here because I didn't realize that they are inextricably linked. Um, so is it possible to create a TIF that's just done by the city or is that it's either like all three have to do it or none do it? Is that the way it works, Kevin? Right, so the... Um sort of tagging on to the response from, from a minute ago. Um, yeah, all, all taxing jurisdictions within a TIF that impose a property tax have to participate uh, pro rata according to mill levy. So we can't, again, you know, for instance, exempt the county from a TIF while the school district and other property tax collectors uh, contribute their funds. And I will mention that uh, under the TIF Act, there are excluded mills that are shielded from capture. Uh, mostly the school districts. There are 28 mills of the school districts that are not captured by TIF and also the state's one and a half mills for their uh, statewide levy. Yeah, I think that's important to point out that the state has excluded itself from any economic development um, TIF. Um, it's just an interesting choice. That's a bit of a political comment, Kevin. I don't expect you to weigh in on it. Thanks. <laughs> there Understood. All right. Any other questions or motions or anything? 
Michelle, this is Brad Burnside. I, I had a question for Patrick, and, and the questions he, he has raised are, are good ones. We we have in our community other existing TIFs, if I'm not mistaken. And Patrick, do you know, is the participation in those, um, you know, equal between the county and the city? Uh, I, I just I just don't know. Um, just curious. I, I don't know every TIF off the top of my head there, Brad. <laughs> I appreciate your faith in me that I would. But uh, my my guess is, based on Kevin's response, is that it would have to be. Yeah, yeah. That there's no way we could do anything different. Um, but yeah, I, that is correct. With yeah. the, TIF, the existing TIF districts, it's across the board. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's just a curious investment for me and a curious law that would require, you know, mm -hmm. that's that's a really interesting thing. I I don't I'm really sort of puzzled on this whole one. And, and while, again, I totally appreciate the project and I think it's good. It's just it's essentially the county is paying for city infrastructure. Or paying a percentage of city infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And, and there's been a lot of talk recently about lanes and who should pay for what and, and other other um, infrastructure improvements and where we draw those lines. And this seems to be a situation where the line has already been drawn. And and uh, I, I just struggle with with uh, with the situation that we're in. Mm -hmm. Totally understand. Any other questions, comments? All right, committee, um, we probably either, um, we need to decide uh, what step we're gonna take on this. So any comments on that? Um, this is Kate Lorenz. I just wanted to say that I am appreciating the discussion and the clarification um, and would look forward to further conversation on on just the difference between the city and the county with regard to infrastructure and, and these investments. Um, with regard to this request, though, um, I am ready to make a motion to approve the request uh, and recommend it to the commission. All right. Kate has made a motion um, to recommend approval for this to the commission. Um, any second on that? I would. Michelle. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Christina. <laughs> sorry. Um, and then, you know, I also take in, into consideration um, Mr. Kelly's comments. Uh, it kind of strikes me as a little bit um, important that we kind of look into the uh, utilizing the affordable housing opportunities. Kind of, I heard something that said that that people would pay a higher um, something about paying higher to shop where they live uh, if they were to utilize the affordable housing opportunities on these lots. So I, I would like some more information about that, or I'd like for the city or the county to look into that uh, and what that looks like for those residents. Uh, but I would second the uh, motion and approve um, and move forward um, with the recommendation for this project. 
All right, thank you for your second. So we have a motion on the table with a second. So I'm gonna go through a roll call vote. Um, Brad's going to abstain, so Christina. Yes, I approve. John. Aye. Kate. Aye. Patrick. No. And I am a yes. So we have four, four in favor, one no, and one abstention. So we are going to recommend um, this to the city commission. So a great discussion, and I do agree that it'd be nice to get some additional information for what Patrick, Kate, and Christina have asked about. So thank you for those questions. Um, are there any public comment in general from anybody in attendance? All right. So... Uh, other than that, we don't have anything else on the agenda. So um, would anybody like to motion for adjournment? So moved. All right, we are out of here. Right, thank you again, everyone. Thanks everyone. Have a good thank rest you, of the year. All right, bye-bye, you too, bye-bye. Take care, bye.